Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're in this series and we've called it This Is Us and we've really looked at, at ourselves and how uniquely God has made us and how diverse the body of Christ is and the different gifts that we had. And then what we've done is we've done the really hard work which makes a lot of us uncomfortable and that is self-examination. It all started out with this very simple conversation where the, the Pharisee came, we, if you're new, just you know, because I'll review this for everybody, but the Pharisees came and they were trying to trick Jesus. They were trying to trick him. Now, so one of the Pharisees finally comes and he says, hey Jesus, of all the commandments that Moses gave, 613 of them in the Old Testament, you know, in the Mosaic Law, what's the single most important? What's the, like, nail it for us. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. And we would all agree and say, amen. Yes, that is most important. And before he can even, the, the Pharisee can even jump in because he's ready to trap Jesus, Jesus jumps right in and he said, but, but just so you know, there's a second command that's equally as important. It's just as important. It's every bit as important. And that is this, love your neighbors yourself. And so what we've really been doing is studying and saying, how is our behavior? How are we behaving? This is the hard work of like, a little self-awareness. Remember this, real transformation cannot happen if you're not aware of what you're doing. You, you have to be aware. That's where transformation takes place. Then we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We say, examine me, examine me. And then we have to deal with those behaviors. Jesus one time in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a very famous passage. If you don't know exactly where it is, you've heard Sermon on the Mount very possibly. Matthew 5 through Matthew 7. And Jesus is teaching on all kinds of things. He's teaching on murder and adultery and divorce and prayer and fasting. And then Jesus gets to this place where he talks about judging other people. And it's very interesting what he has to say. He says, why why do you guys, why do you all worry about the speck that's in your friend's eye when you have a log in your eye? Like, isn't it just like, you're worried about their speck and you've got a log? He says, how can you even think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past your own eye? In other words, Jesus is saying, how can you even think to speak to them when you haven't taken a hard look at yourself? And then he goes on and he says this, you're a hypocrite. If that's what you're doing, if you're not willing to self-examine, you're a hypocrite. First, you've got to do this. You've got to look at yourself, get rid of the log that's in your own, own eye. That's going to be the power of the Holy Spirit. We all know that. It's only the Holy Spirit that transforms. And then you're going to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So we're just continuing that this morning. We pray, Father, examine us. Examine our hearts. Reveal to us. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Pick that up in your Bibles, if you would. If you're picking it up on a digital copy, it'll oftentimes say what translation you want. You want the New Living Translation that just happens to be the one we use. It's not the best. It's not whatever. It's just, it's, it's good for us, right? And then when you have it, if you'd stand to your feet, just know this. When we stand to our feet, we do this to remember. It reminds us this is God speaking now. It ain't just a book. I'm in John chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 17, and it says this. When Jesus arrived at Bethany... He was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. And when, she, when uh, Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. In verse 25, Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection of life, and anybody who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? 
Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's coming to the world from God. And then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here. He wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Verse 30, Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where, Mary, where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep, and so they followed her there. And when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? She asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence this morning. What a privilege to be in your audience, in your presence this morning, Lord. And now we've worshipped in song, and we've worshipped in giving, and we've worshipped in the reading of your word. So, Holy Spirit, we ask this. In our brief time, would you reveal to us what it is you want us to know? Draw us even closer to you, God, that we might experience you. Reveal to us who you are this morning, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're online this morning, by the way, welcome to you guys. And uh, you might, if you're online, just hop in. Who's up in the booth right now? It is Pastor Amos. Right on, it's Pastor Amos. And so uh, you guys hop online, say good morning to Pastor Amos, and uh, tell him your favorite something. I have no idea what to tell them, but uh, we're, we're glad. Yeah, your favorite cereal. Tell him your favorite cereal. Uh, so let's look at this passage, and just so you know where we're at, look in your Bibles. This is verse 17. It says this, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Now, in John chapter 11, it's actually one of my favorite stories in this, in this regard. We always know poor Thomas, right? Thomas got the, 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 the bad nickname for the rest of his life. He's known as... Doubting Thomas. And here's what's really interesting. Go home and read, uh, starting chapter 11. It's, it's one of my most, just, it's fun to read from this perspective. Uh, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. And just so you know this, Jesus and Lazarus, and Lazarus' sisters are Mary and Martha. They're tight. Like, they're very close. They, they love one another. They have a very unique relationship, very special relationship. And Jesus gets word that Lazarus is going to die. And Jesus was like, well, let's wait a couple days. You know, he's very sick. Well, let's just wait a couple days. And so he starts to have this discourse with the disciples. And finally, Jesus said, you know, okay, now it's time to go. Now it's time. Now Jesus is up in Galilee, up in the north. And he's saying, now we should go down to Jerusalem. And the disciples say to him, uh, last time we were in Jerusalem, they, they were ready. They were going to stone you. And Jesus says, yeah, well, it's time to go now. And the disciples are all like, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea. And Jesus said, no, we're going to Jerusalem. Now, when, just so you know, when he gets to Jerusalem, this is when it's going to happen. He knows he's going to be crucified, and we're getting really close to that time. Who is it that speaks up? It's Thomas. And Thomas says, well, if he's going, let's all go die with him. Like, that's doubting Thomas. That's very interesting to me. So now Jesus has gotten word, and it says when he gets to Bethany, Bethany is like a Jerusalem suburb. It probably wasn't at that time thought of as a suburb, but it's like two miles. It's very, very close. It's two miles. And he gets to Bethany, and he says he's told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Four is a very significant number because the ancient Jewish superstition was once you die, the spirit hangs around your body for three days in case you change your mind. That's what they thought. Like the spirit just kind of hangs out. Right? In case you decide to come back to life. And so when it says four days, that doesn't mean Lazarus is dead. It means he's good and dead. Like he's dead. He's totally dead. It's over. Right? And so then 
we're told that many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. Now, this is an ancient culture, and so they really grieve, they really mourn. Uh, there would be the funeral type of ceremony where they put the body in the tomb, and then there could be a week of mourning and grieving. Everyone would show up. If you're a close friend, you show up. If you just know them, you knew them at all, you're aware of them, you show up. They actually have professional mourners and grievers at times that would show up. True story. They would have professional mourners and grievers. This is a big deal in ancient culture. They mourn and they grieve. And so there are all these people who have come and they're consoling Mary and they're consoling Martha for their loss. Some of you have been there. You know what it's like to lose a family member. You all get that, right? And then it says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she goes to meet him. Remember Martha? We have Mary and Martha in the house when Jesus came to visit them before. And Martha's the one who went out and she invites him in. And she's busy, 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 busy. And Martha's a different personality. She just kind of sits at Jesus' feet. Well, this time what happens is Martha gets up and she goes to Jesus. She runs out to Jesus. Now, I want you to pay attention to what Martha says, because this is going to come back in a second. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here... My brother would not have died. That's, that's kind of a declaration of who Jesus is, of his deity, that he would have done something about it. But just, I want you to notice this, what she says to Jesus. It's going to come back in just a minute. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now watch how Jesus replies to her. Jesus says, mm, your brother will live again. Like, just very matter of fact, your brother will live again. Now they have this discussion you know, Jesus said, look, she, she says, well, Jesus, I know he'll rise again on the last days when we all rise again. I get that. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm the resurrection of life. People who believe in me, they'll live even though they die. And they get into this whole discourse, right? But what I want you to know is what she said to Jesus. And then as a result, what did Jesus say to her? Now, when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, what's he doing? And the answer is he's encouraging He's encouraging. Hey, hang in there. Hey, be strong. He'll rise again. Hey, I just want to encourage you. Notice that. That sometimes when these things happen, we encourage people. Right? But what you're going to see today, because we're discovering these different behaviors, you're going to see something in Jesus today that is so unique. And I don't, I, I don't even think that we think of this. When we want, to, we want to emulate Christ, we want to be like Christ. You're going to see a behavior. You're about to see a behavior in Christ that is very interesting and unique and caught me off guard just a little bit. So he says that, they have this discourse, she says, yes, I believe you're the, the Messiah, I've always believed this, and then they finish their conversation. Well, then it says that she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went. Now, just so you know, Mary stayed in the house the first time, and she was sitting. Many translations say she just sat in the house. Martha gets up, she flies out to Jesus. Mary is sitting in the house. And we think possibly that could have been a very intentional posture just to say, man, where I'm at right now, what I'm experiencing right now, I just got to sit in this. I'm, I'm, I'm unmovable. I can't just get up. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm suffering. I'm experiencing loss. I'm experiencing pain. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Like, can we just be honest? Like, sometimes life is just, it's just hard. Right? That's where Mary's at. Mary's at. So now, Mary takes off. It says, when Mary arrived and she saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. She, she's grieving. She's mourning. She's experiencing loss. And what does she do? She falls at his feet. I mean, she just isn't holding back at all. We didn't see this from Martha. Martha's very task-oriented. Mary's feeling it. And she just falls at the feet of Jesus. And, and she says, right? 
exactly what Martha said. Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She says the exact same thing. Now, she's a very different person. Her personality is very different. She's experiencing grief and pain and loss and just the reality of life and how difficult it is sometimes. And she gets there and she just falls at his feet and she says the exact same thing that Martha said. Jesus, I mean, we we believe that you're God. You could have prevented this. If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And when Jesus saw her, he sees her weeping and he sees the other people wailing with her. You know what he's going to say. Hey, your brother's going to rise again. Like, isn't that what Jesus is about to say to her? He said it to Martha. Martha says, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, your brother's going to live again. He's encouraging her. Isn't that the exact same thing that he's going to say to her? Watch what Jesus says to Mary. A deep anger wells up within Jesus. He doesn't say anything. It, it talks about his emotion. An anger wells up with Jesus, and he is deeply troubled. It's a very different response. Now, words are very interesting to me at times, and I want you to use just a slightly, a more literal translation is the King James or the New King James. A lot of us grew up with that, the King James Bible, right? This is John eleven thirty three. 33. I want you to see it in the New King James where it says, an anger welled up with him. Another translation, maybe a more literal translation, is that he saw her weeping and those who were with her weeping, and he groans in the spirit and is troubled. He groans. Now again, words are very interesting to me. And we don't do this with every word, but I want you to see this. The Greek word for groan, the specific word inspired by the Holy Spirit that John uses here, what he wants to communicate. Jesus groaned. The Greek word for that is the word embromaomai. You, you probably were just saying that this morning at the table. But here's what's really interesting. Our translation, we get that Jesus groaned and that he was deeply troubled. The original language, the Greek language says embromaomai, and it literally means this, to snort like an angry horse, to be angry, to be indignant. Now, notice this. Martha comes and he says, hey, your, your, your brother's going to rise. What's he do with her? He encourages her. Okay, this is a very different behavior of Jesus. He's not encouraging to, Martha, to, to Mary. Why? Because he knows Mary. Because he understands her. He's feeling her. This is Jesus saying, sister, I'm feeling you right now. And he snorts like an angry horse. And the idea is this, that he's angry and he's indignant just by the, the havoc that has been wreaked on humanity. By the evil that death brings, the, 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 just the havoc that he wreaks, that it wreaks. And Jesus is feeling that right now. And he says, where, where have you put him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then, and then Jesus is going to encourage. And then Jesus is going to say, hey, he'll rise again. Hey, buck up, little soldier. Hey, buck up, Mary. Now, I, I love this. I, I just love studying Christ and his behaviors. Now, watch what he do, does. And it says, and then, and then he just weeps. He's God. He's the Almighty. He already knows that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows he could do that right stinking now. But he doesn't say, relax. Do you not know that I'm God? 
Do you know that I'm not in control? Do you know that I'm not sovereign and in charge? Do you not know that all things, Colossians, Paul tells us, all things were made through him and for him. Speaking of Jesus, he's the great creator. He's done all of this. He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell her to buck up. He doesn't see her experiencing loss and then quote Romans to her. Well, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Like, have you ever had that happen? Like, you're suffering, and people say, oh, brother, all things is sister, all things work together for good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. And I say, I will knock you out. <laughs> Don't say that to me right now. And I think this is one of those beautiful behaviors of Christ. He, he isn't encouraging her anymore. He's demonstrating compassion. Compassion means to suffer with, to enter their suffering with them, to feel it. It's why sometimes the worst question that we can ask when people have experienced loss, Rick, help me out of here, am I right? Is to go, how are you doing? What do you mean, how am I doing? Pastor, if you're watching this morning, I, I, I was with Jerry and when, when he had lost his wife, and I just was asking him, you know, well, how are things going now? And, and he just said, I'm a train wreck. Can, can I just tell you this? That's okay. It's okay to feel the pain of life. It's okay to say, God is God. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is the Almighty. I worship him and I praise him. And right now, my life sucks. That's real. And we see that demonstrated by Christ himself. Jesus models that for us. Look, just a few verses later, now they're headed to the tomb. And it says, Jesus was still angry. He's still snorting like a horse when he gets to the tomb. Can, can, I, can I just... Can I just demonstrate some, just show you, not personally, but can I just read you some raw emotion? Go home and read Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 in about verse 3 it says this. He's got like seven sons, three daughters, 5,000 camels, 7,000 oxen. He's, He's the wealthiest man. Job is the wealthiest man known at that time. And in verse 1, just before that, it says that he's blameless that he walks with God, that he's a man of integrity. And then throughout the rest of chapter 1, he loses everything. He loses everything. How does this man of God, man of integrity, blameless, walks with God, how does he respond when he's lost everything? Look at what Job says. Job stood up, he tears his robe. Look at how dramatic. Is he just the drama queen? He tears his robe in grief. He shaves his head. He falls to the ground. That's real. Like, that's real life sometimes. Right? And what does he do? He worships. Like, you can have all those emotions. And he worships. And he says, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. He goes on and he says, the Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. He's experiencing every one of those emotions. It is as raw and as real as it gets. And then I love this statement because I I love the scriptures, scriptures are inspired by God. And this statement is no mistake. You've seen Job experience all of that. You've seen him just like tears his clothes. I mean, anybody in here, you ever get frustrated and you shave your head? I mean, like he's on the edge here. And then he falls to the ground. 
And he worships. And I want you to just see what the Holy Spirit is telling us here. In all of this, he didn't sin by blaming God. One does not necessitate the other. One does not equate the other. It's okay to experience your emotions, right? There are some of you, this is one of those Christ-like behaviors where Christ said, man, Mary, I'm feeling you. And it's okay, sister. It's okay that you're feeling that. It's okay that you feel distraught. It's okay that you're mourning and you're grieving. It's okay. And some of you demonstrate that for us. You help us to understand that it's perfectly safe to have our emotions, And so we're going to take a look specifically at that real quick, at that personality style. We call that the individualist. And I'm just going to read you some something. Some of you have gone on the website and you've taken the assessment and you found out that you are this individualist. That's that's the way God made you. That's the way God wired you. If you haven't, let me give you some quick uh, things to look for to, to help point you to the fact that maybe this is how God made you. Right? If you say, I'm definitely not a fan of the ordinary I like things unconventional and dramatic and refined. If those things are true of you, you might be this very personality style. And it's important to identify this because we're going to talk about, then what can you specifically work on? If you say, I've never really felt like I belonged. I don't fit in. You, you might be of this style. If you tend to say, I, I tend to have so many feelings in a day, it's hard to know which one to pay attention to first. You just know you have a myriad of feelings. If you think to yourself, I really like to be unique. Right? You, you might be of this personality style. If you say, melancholy is really comfortable for me, and it's actually annoying for me when people try to cheer me up. I'm feeling sad, I just want to be sad. Please don't try to cheer me up right now. Uh, if you oftentimes say, I'm glad I'm not like everybody else. You like being unique. If you t- say to yourself, I tend to be sensitive to criticism, and it can take me a while to get over it. This might be your personality style. If you say, when people tell me what to do, I tend to do the opposite. That's that desire to be unique, right? If you tend to say, it feels like I spend a lot of time trying to explain myself. I feel very misunderstood. If you say, I can kind of disappear and just go radio silent for days. See, you might be of this style. If you say, I'm really okay with sad. I'm really okay there. If you, if you t- tend to say, I generally feel like I'm just missing something. I'm lacking something. If you say, people sometimes say that I'm too intense and my emotions may overwhelm them. If if, if you tend to hear that or feel that. If you say, I come up with very creative ideas, but executing them is something different. That's harder for me, but I have a lot of creative ideas. If you say, "I I can pull people in, but then I get nervous and I tend to push them away. I know that I can draw people in, but then I tend to push them away. Or if you, if you oftentimes say to yourself, I oftentimes fear abandonment. Those are just clues you may be this individual. Now we're going to look at this for just a little bit to see what is it that they contribute to the body of Christ. How do they help us advance the mission? Why are they such a gift and a blessing to us in the kingdom, but also at Cedar Valley Church? And so I want you to know who these people are. First of all, uh, you're emotionally very honest and authentic. And here's what I love about you. If you say, this is how I identify Here's what I love about you. We are desperately concerned with capturing the next generation. Very concerned about that at this church. And you know what the next generation wants? They want authentic. Now, let me just clear this up and be very, very, very descriptive about this. There is an authentic look out there today. And a lot of people are trying to look authentic. Do we all understand the irony of that? 
Okay. That, that to me is very interesting. It's one of the things that I love about our worship team. It's one of the things I love about our staff. If you want to come here during the week, nobody's trying to be authentic. We're just what we are. And if you're this personality style, you are emotionally honest and authentic, and it's attractive to the next generation, and we love that. And it doesn't matter what your age is. They're very empathetic. They're very comfortable with raw or real. These individuals, if you're one of those people, they're the ones who will sit with you in your mess and not try to fix you and not try to say, buck up, little soldier, and not, quite, not, not, not just, quote, just platitudes at you. You're feeling like that, and that's real right now, and that's okay. They're also just the best of friends. They make amazing friends. They always spot phonies. If you're this individualist, you know phony in a heartbeat. You know it. You see it. You go, oh, they're actually trying to be authentic. Right? They're very creative. You folks that are these individual types, you take us to beauty. You lead us there. You see beauty. You see creativity. And we love that about you. And you also, this is very interesting about this personality style, you would go to a party that they threw, and you'd walk into the room and you're like, are all these people at the same party? Because it's just the weirdest mix of folks I've ever seen. Like, that, that's very true, right? And so we know that if this is who you are, we praise God. We're, we're blessed that you're here. We love you. And you should be thanking God that he made you the way he made you. But we just want to create some awareness, okay? So on the awareness side, at the root, the, the childhood message that you've possibly internalized from a child is that there's just something a bit off with me, and I'll never really fit in. Now listen to me. If you're a friend of one of these people, if you're a friend of, um, you're married to an individual, so you're, you're a good friend, one of the ways that you can just minister to them is just affirm them. Affirm their uniqueness. You're not broken. You're not weird. You're not off. You're a child of the Most High God, and he made you in this very unique way, and I thank God for your uniqueness. Right? <laughs> Said the individualist. The core fear is being emotionally cut off, but really the big fear is that I'm just going to be plain, or mundane, or I'm going to be defective, or I'm going to be inadequate, or I'm flawed, or I'm insignificant. You individuals, you really want to be unique. And it's cool. It's very, very cool. The core desire, then, is to be unique, to be special, and to be authentic. Got it? And I want to talk to you about your core sin. Just, you need to be aware. Like, let the Holy Spirit speak. Just... Just suspend judgment. Suspend judgment for a minute and just see what the Holy Spirit would say to you. But the core sin really is envy. The biggest sin that you'll struggle with is envy for this reason. You feel that something foundational is missing inside of you and that others possess what you lack and you want that. You desire that. Right? So let's look at kind of some of the unhealthy behaviors. Number one, you will always struggle if you're this individual. So I just want you to be with her, aware, and you may have already felt this. It's really hard for you to accept just yourself, the way you are, the way God made you. Again, if you know one of these people or you, 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 you're married to one of these people, help affirm their uniqueness. Help minister to them. Help speak to them. It's okay. It's, this is how God made you. It's a gift. It's, it should be seen as beautiful. There's oftentimes an exaggeration of your uniqueness for gain. Like sometimes you can err on the side of just you're working way too hard to be unique. Just suspend you. Just take that in for a minute. 
Sometimes you'll work way too hard to be unique. Uh, your melancholy sometimes can go unchecked. And you'll just sit in it for days. Just be aware. Be very careful of that. Oftentimes you'll play the victim so that you, you get attention. There's gain in it for you. Right? You're in this comparison cycle. That can be. Just be aware. Be aware. There can be this comparison cycle. Why? Because... Right? I'm inadequate, and, and you constantly compare yourself to people. Your melancholy can oftentimes go to melodrama. It's this thing. It's this thing, which is uh, why the, the reason I put the one at the bottom is that your moods can become weather patterns. It's like, hey, good day, sunshine. Oh, rain. Hey, good day. Oh, now it got cold. Hey, it's just all, it can't be all over the place. Just be aware of that. And then molehills into mounds is just simply you can, in these extremes, make bigger deals out of smaller things. So, so that's for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. We love that you're here. We love the gifts you bring. We love your uniqueness. Just be aware of some of these things. And so then, how does transformation happen? Well, number one, just do this. Just stop every once, once in a while and recognize you're not the only one who suffers. You're not the only one. A lot of people are suffering. A lot of, especially in the era that we live. Yes? A lot of people will suffer. Also recognize this, you don't have to have drama. Sometimes you're like, no, everything is going too well in my life. I just need some drama. Actually, you don't. You don't really. And the people around you definitely don't. Let me just say that they definitely don't. Uh, I would say this, and this is kind of can be your golden rule. Experience your emotions, but don't be ruled by them. Got it? Experience them. Feel them. This is real. Okay. Don't be controlled. Yes? And then let the past go to voicemail. A lot of times the past loves to call. The past loves to call. Bring things up to you. Let that one go to voice, voicemail. Okay? A couple other things for you. Number one, just cut yourself a little slack. Beware of envy of this sin of always desiring what others have. Learn to find beauty just in simple things. It doesn't always have to be in the dramatic and then lastly, just remember this, no emotion is final. No emotion is final. Right? I want to give you a verse. If you find yourself to be this individual, because we want you to be as healthy as possible, because what you bring us is so awesome. And the way God made you is so awesome. And so I want to give you a verse for meditation, to meditate on this verse. This is from the psalmist who said, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You made them. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. God, you made me this way, is what the psalmist is saying. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship, God, the way you made me is marvelous and how well I know it. Celebrate that you've been made by the great creator. Celebrate that. Receive that from God. Receive your uniqueness. And I would say this, we definitely want to receive it. The way you minister to the body, can I just say this? The way you minister to the body is so unique and it's so good. You're the ones who sit with people who are really in tough times and you make it safe. You make it safe for them. You know this, you cannot deal with an untruth. You can't, let me say, you cannot deal with untruth. Therefore, when people say to you, when you're really struggling and you say, people say, how are you doing? You go, I'm doing fine or I'm doing great. That is an untruth. And you can't deal with it. 
What you need to be able to say is, I'm really struggling right now, and it's really hard for me right now. And in fact, and I had a, I had a woman that said this to me last week, which I love this, and I, ha- I haven't seen you, so maybe you're here again. And she said, we were just talking about, she said she's really trying to connect with God again. And she said, tell me this though, Pastor. How do I, how do I go to God? How do I talk to God when I'm so angry at him? And I said, oh, thank you for saying that. That was such a great thing to say right now. Because that's a truth. Because you can't deal with untruth. How are you doing? Oh, highly favored, highly blessed, I'm blessed, I'm favored. That's not how you feel. You can't deal with that. See, when you're the individualist, guess what? You're actually the one who makes that a safe place for the rest of us. Because my personality tends to be like, have you forgotten who God is? Buck up, soldier, come on. That ain't helping. Individualists, you minister to us. You are such a crucial part of the body. You're so uniquely made, and we love it. So let me give you the big so what for you, for you particular types, and that is this. When others might criticize, the individuals empathize. They, they, they'll empathize. Like Some of us are like, they got to get over it. They got to move on. They got to just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They got to, yeah. The individual says, hmm, that, that's got to be tough. Tell me about that. How hard has that been for you? And if I were in your place, hmm, hmm. Sometimes an individualist doesn't say anything. They just sit and cry with you. That's what you need sometimes. Now, there's a place. There's a place. There's a point in time where we have to move on, right? But you individuals, you do that for us. And so we're grateful for you. You model Christ. That is a Christ behavior where he just wept. He snorted like an angry horse. And so let me give you the big now what, because this is the same one we're working on every week. What's it like to be on the other side of me? If you're that individualist, we know that God made you that way. So unique, such a great thing. But we know that there are going to be times when you might go a little off the rail. We all do. Let the Holy Spirit minister to that. But find someone you love, someone you know, someone you trust, and just say, hey, what's it like being around me? What's it like to experience me? And again, if you're that person, go ahead and affirm them. Affirm them. And then if the Holy Spirit would speak through you, and you say, but, but I feel like sometimes you get stuck in your drama. That might be appropriate. I don't know. I don't know who's asking you. Now, we've played these songs after every one, and I'll, I'll just explain this again in case you're new or you're online and you're new. These are written by a Christian artist who really said that the Holy Spirit spoke to him as he began to examine and see his own weaknesses. And then the Holy Spirit ministered to him and said it was transformative. He felt so influenced by that that he wrote a song for every personality style. And again, I'll say this. When it was my personality style, I got very choked up because it spoke directly to me. And everybody else in the room was like, I don't get it. You know? And I've heard that every week. Every week. And the reason is because the individual who's singing the song is the same individual who sings every single song. But the songs were written by only people of that personality style. Lyrics and instruments. And so we want to celebrate you if you're the individualist. We want to celebrate what you uh, contribute to the body of Christ. How you work in and through our body. How you minister to us. And so this is specifically for you. Watch the video.
the individualist. We're thrilled that you're a part of the body of Christ here at Cedar Valley because you help us move the mission because we're a church on a mission. We're leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And we need all of the gifts of the body 
Individuals, you are the most rare of all the personalities. You're the most rare. And so today we celebrate you and we say, man, dig in, be a part of the mission. Sometimes I think, do we forget this? Apart from a relationship with Christ, people go to hell. We don't have time to sit around. We need everybody. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for what you reveal to us through your word and how you reveal us to us and help us to be aware of us. God, we're grateful for that. And so, Lord, this morning, in particular, we just thank you for this behavior that we see modeled in Christ. That it's good to grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn. And there's a safe space for that, Father. I pray for those of us who just needed to hear that this morning. That it's okay for us to grieve and mourn. But I thank you for this individualist type, Father, who's a part of our body. We're grateful that you've made them that way as a sovereign creator. You designed them that way. You fit them into the body of Christ with all their diversity of gifts. We're grateful for that. Thank you, Lord God. Minister to us as the body. And in particular, Father, I'd say minister to that particular person this morning who here, who's here and that resonates with them and they feel like that's me and maybe I don't fit in. God, would you let them know that they fit, that they're part of us, that their uniqueness is so cool, that you've made them that way, that they are wonderfully made by the great creator. Would you minister that, that to them this morning?